This is Car Expert. The MG4 is going to do a lot for that brand in terms of its design and performance capabilities even. I can see a lot of existing Skoda buyers migrating to an Enyaq, but how it's going to appeal to other buyers it remains to be seen. The main thing for this car is whether Nissan can get the price right and they can sort of sit around Model Y or undercut the Model Y. I think it'll do quite well. Welcoming to this week's Car Expert Podcast. Hello, Tony Crawford. Mandy, how are you? And I've got some wonderful stuff to talk about. Quickly, I I've just... No, you... T- oh. Hang on a second. Yeah. We've got someone else on the podcast oh. too. <laughs> oh, look, that's how excited he yes, is. Yes, exactly. He's so excited. Exactly. Hello, William Stockford. Hello. Now that we've, we've gotten that pleasantry out of the way, yes. Tony, tell us about your trip. Okay, so quickly, I've got a half a minute on uh, Aston Martin DB12. Uh, the embargo lifts on July 5, everyone, so look back at the site on that date and you'll see the full review but suffice to say this is an entirely new car even though it looks very very similar to a db11 but um it is incredible that's all i can say at this point and then i i quickly jetted up to bologna and took out the lamborghini urus performante which i'd never ever driven on the road and i did an 800k round trip on this thing and it was just incredible the takeaways were for me that it was entirely livable as a daily and handled the bumps and shitty Italian roads, uh, certainly off the main autostratas with aplomb. So this is a car that uh, surprised me enormously. It's an enormously capable car on track. And then it also handled all the bumps you could deal with it, wet roads, I I had everything. And uh, so that was a most enjoyable uh, drive on the up to the Italian Alps. So uh, yeah. So, so were you were you most comfortable doing eight hundred k's? Yeah, that? yeah. And I was yeah. bloody tired when I started, to be honest. Because um, mm. uh, I got in about one o'clock in the Arvo, and by the time I left the factory in Santiago de Bolognese, it was two p.m. And I think I got to Biella up in the mountains at about four four o'clock. So I, I was uh, going at a fairly rapid pace, Mandy. Um, um, I can't. I don't think I can say the pace, but uh, this car is. But you always do, though. I do say the pace, but uh, I mean, to put it this way, two hundred k's an hour is like uh, walking pace for this car. Yeah. Um, so it time goes by very quickly. It's got a fantastic infotainment system as well. Um, and sound good? Uh, like I mean, the actual engine sound good? Oh yeah, it's just a sports yeah. car. You put it in. You put it in. Actually, a lot of the Autostrada I had it in. Um, Strata, which is the road mode, and it's quite docile at the top of the, the the accelerator pedal travel. But once you click it into sport, it just amps up the noise, and immediately you've got this incredible responsiveness. And and uh, like it, you can just treat it like a Lamborghini. That's what I told people. You can drive it like it was a Lamborghini supercar. But it's a huge thing, and here's the thing. I called into a Lamborghini tractor factory and took a photo with an old Lamborghini tractor. Um, and the Did you go- see Jeremy Clarkson there? No, I didn't see. Um, oh. The guys came out, and they looked behind, and all they said when they opened the rear door was, Madonna, <laughs> uh, to, say that, <laughs> to say that it was so big they could not Beautiful. believe the size of the thing. Anyway, wow. it was a fantastic trip and a, and a brilliant car, better than what I ever thought it was. Would you take home the DB11 or the, the Lambo? Um, DB12. Oh, sorry, uh, talk, yeah. Or the competitor to that one is the DBS 707. Look, it's so damn close. 
Um, I'd probably say the the Aston Martin is is a tad more comfortable. Um, but then you've got the dark horse in the room, which is the Porsche KN Turbo GT Coupe, uh, which is unbelievably capable and for a much less money, $100,000 less. So, look, the, the, the whole three of them are astonishing of what – uh, car companies are producing in SUVs now. And, of course, everyone wants SUVs, so it's no good saying, oh, why would anyone want to drive a supercar SUV? The fact is they do because if they've only got um, that car and that's their daily, they want it to do everything. So you can't blame the car companies for making these giant SUVs that perform like a supercar. It's what people want and they're prepared to pay for it. It's a bit hard to put a baby seat in the back of a supercar, isn't it? Like a, you know, 100%. one that's as high as a two-year-old. Yeah, that's why these things are just selling like hotcakes. Yeah. Because of exactly what you just said then, you can't live you can't live as a daily supercar with a family. Impossible. Mm. So. It's like those people that wonder why so many Americans buy full-size pickup trucks because they've become so comfortable as family vehicles, but also they have that capability. Yeah. And with these high-performance SUVs, you get the best of both worlds. You yeah. get really good performance, but yeah. also practicality. Yeah. Mm. Let's talk about this week's car news. We welcome back Jade Credentino. Hello, Jade. Hello, Mandy. It's good to be back. How are you? Always good to have you on the Car Expert podcast. Um, now, we've got a number of MG news to get through, starting off with the MG4, Jade. Yeah, that's correct. So the MG4 is MG's newest electric vehicle to touch down in Australia. Now, they have just released pricing for a smaller electric motor option uh, and it's priced at 38990 before on-road costs. So it can level up as one of the cheapest electric vehicles in Australia. The 51 kilowatt hour option will offer 350 kilometres of range as and can be charged using AC and DC charging. Now, it will come in an Excite variant only, so a base model, which will offer a 10.25-inch infotainment system, a 7-inch instrument cluster, MG Pilot, and keyless entry, along with a range of other features. You can find the full list of specs via the Car Expert website and looking at MG4. Now, just uh, just quickly on that, at the time of recording, uh, the MG4, the new base variant, is the cheapest uh, electric vehicle in Australia. However, um, after we finish recording this podcast, BYD will be announcing pricing for its Dolphin. Um, so uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, by the time this podcast goes live, uh, we'll have pricing for the Dolphin. That'll be up on carexpert.com.au. Uh, but, but I guess at the moment it is... As we record this, the cheapest EV. Potentially in between, somewhere between Tuesday and Thursday of this week. <laughs> the cheapest EV in Australia. We'll see. Maybe uh, maybe uh, BYD won't under, undercut the MG. We, we don't know just yet. Um, but it, it is really interesting. We, we got the press release for the, for the new MG4 variant just but, days before the BYD event. But this is amazing to think that now we have under 40 grand EVs. Yeah, I think this is incredible, and and if Dolphin happens to come in under or slightly over, it's just great for the Australian public to be able to now get into EV ownership with a great looking car, as is the MG4, by the way. And uh, I, I want to tell our listeners, I'm actually going to Shanghai next Monday to drive the MG4 high-performance dual motor thing on track, Ooh. which uh, I don't think we would have 
seen an MG on track for about 40 years, um, <laughs> you know, or more. Um, so, so this is a, quite an astonishing um, uh, turnout for MG. And, of course, if Dolphin and, you know, I think everyone loves the uh, Addo 3, the design is amazing. And um, if uh, I'm not sure about Dolphin, I haven't seen that many pictures of it. Um, but uh, it's just fantastic. I mean, the MG4 is to me one of the best looking EVs on, it is going to be one of the best looking EVs on the road, frankly, particularly in those amazing colours that they've mm. got. So as well as the MG4, MG has also released pricing for its petrol MG5, which will rival the Hyundai i30 and Toyota Corolla. Now, there will be two engines and two trim levels that will be offered. Now, the Vibe starts from 24,990 drive away with the top trim level Essence from 28,990 drive away. Now, one engine will have a 84 kilowatts of power and 150 newton meters of torque mated with a CVT transmission, while the more powerful engine will have a 119 kilowatts of power and 250 newton meters of torque powered to a seven-speed dual-clutch transmission. Now, the the top-of-the-line Essence will come with a sunroof, a 360-degree view camera, 17-inch alloy wheels, 10-inch infotainment system and much more. Now, the MG5 will be available in six color options. What do you guys think of the new petrol model that's going to be offered by MG? Uh, I'm really genuinely surprised that they're bringing that base model here um, with that with that 1.5 litre engine because that actually has slightly less power and less torque than my 97 Astra, the first car <laughs> ever owned. And this is obviously no. in a much newer vehicle that's going to be probably considerably heavier because it's got a lot more equipment. And I know CVTs can make the most of small outputs, but man, that but they are lighter than a transmission normal. Yeah, but CVT. You know. Perhaps it comes with pedals, Jade, as well. Foot pedals. It pedals are um, extra cool. It's <laughs> <laughs> not included. That's going to be a second to figure out. I mean, I think it's really interesting that, that MG is bringing the five here because we've seen small car sales go down, but the pricing of this is really sharp. And I could see this attracting people who just wanted a decently sized car. A um, new and car. And don't, yeah. yeah, exactly. And don't necessarily want an SUV. I think that base mm. engine is probably going to turn off a lot of customers, but it's mm. probably going to turn up on a lot of rental fleets because we know MG does put a lot of vehicles in rental fleets. Um, so maybe next time you're, you're traveling out of town, you pick up a car, Europe car or wherever, mm. uh, it might be a, a, a naturally aspirated MG5. And, and let's face it, MG now as a brand in Australia has gained quite a lot of cachet and I think people are quite comfortable with the brand. Um, and I, I think it's, I do think it uh, has some, quite a lot of positive cachet in the market um, because of how long they've been here already. Um, and the MG4 is going to do a lot for that brand in terms of its design capabilities and uh, performance capabilities, even. Uh, and I know this is not an EV, but um, yeah, I think they're just trying to get people into the brand and offering uh, a new car at a relatively affordable price uh, when you think about it. So, uh, I mean, I look, I've seen some cars that have those rather diminutive power outputs and they do surprise you sometimes. Um, 
uh, it should be a little quicker than potentially what we're thinking about with these outputs, but who knows? Um, proof's I, in the pudding. I'm, I'm, I'm doubtful. Um, it, it is also a little bit confusing as well that we've got MG3, which is a 10-year-plus-old design. Then we've got MG4, which is the slick new electric vehicle and a dedicated electric vehicle platform that looks completely up to the minute. Then we've got the MG5, which looks modern but doesn't really have the best base powertrain. Uh, I think that has the potential to confuse customers a little bit, but I do appreciate the variety. One thing, though, that um, I will point out, the MG5 nameplate is also used in Europe on a completely different vehicle. It's actually a small electric wagon. Um, so it's, it's sold in the UK as well. Um, and a lot of commenters have been saying, oh, geez, they brought the wrong MG5 here. Um, I, don't, I don't know what, what that car would, what price point that car would sell it if it was brought here and MG's already got the ZSEV and the MG4. Uh, but, you know, it wouldn't be bad to see a, a little electric wagon running around. Okay, can I just ask if this is an MG5 here and the MG5 is different in other markets, what is the MG5? What what is this car in other markets? MG five. So it this is, is okay. MG five in China and uh, Thailand. Um, the MG five is a wagon in in Europe and the UK. Right, and I can't right. remember what they call the MG five wagon in markets where it's sold in, okay. as alongside the sedan. So it gets a little bit confusing like yeah. that. I, I think that's yeah. why I one of the reasons I don't really like these number names. Um, mm. We see Chinese companies do this as well, um, where the number does. In this case, the number corresponds with its position within the lineup. But in other brands, you've got like Lincoln. Co and Polestar, where the number is the the order in which the vehicle was released, and it's just just give things names, people. It's just going to be simpler. Yes. <laughs> how, how does this stack up the MG Five that we're getting with its rivals in terms of pricing? Cheaper, <laughs> yeah, like Pretty comparative, much cheaper, considerably cheaper. The base okay, well, price. There, there, there's there's the there's the uh, call to action, then, isn't it? to get people into these cheap cars because, I mean, money is tight at the moment. Interest rates look like they're going to go up again uh, in July, um, so they're rumouring. So, uh, I mean, the strain is on um, the the impact of pricing has hit every Australian and um, and I think to for them to be able to offer new cars, brand new with the relative, you know, let's assume it has quite a lot of safety features, um, I, 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 good on them. Will and Jade, I, I think it's uh, it's a good thing that they're doing, and even though it might be confusing in terms of the the nomenclature, but um, I think it's great when car companies, because there's so many um, it, there's so many young people in older cars that aren't safe um, and don't have any of the modern amenities, and of course they end up getting caught using phones and all that sort of stuff. So. Anyone that can offer modern technology for a cheap price, you've got to give it to them. You've got to give some credit points to them. Yeah. Now, uh, Will, you just mentioned BYD a little earlier there. That's our focus of our next story. Interesting that uh, BYD wants to, well, they have a very big goal in mind. Let's just say. Yes, that's correct. So currently BYD is the top selling EV behind Tesla. Now it plans to achieve 50,000 annual sales this year. Now the figure will push them into the top 10 sales charts, which will be ahead of Subaru, Volkswagen and Nissan in Australia. Now, the BYD Addo 3 outsold the Tesla Model 3 in May this year, and there are 10,000 BYDs already on a boat to Australia. Now, planning to launch the 
dolphin, as we'll mention very soon, this could also increase the uptake in BYD. Now, the dolphin pricing and specs hasn't been released, but we are expecting the dolphin to be one of the cheapest EVs on sale in Australia below $40,000. Now, it plans to bring the SEAL to Australia by the end of the calendar year, obviously adding to its lineup and increasing sales. What do you guys think of BYD's goal? Do you think it's ambitious or do you think it's realistic? I think it's really interesting um, because they haven't specifically said, hey, we want to be a top 10 brand, but they have said, hey, we want to sell 50,000 vehicles annually over the next few years, uh, which, I mean, that, that effectively puts it up there in the top 10 brand list. I mean, if you look at say 2022 sales figures, MG was at 49,582 sales. So for BYD to say that, and, and you know what? I think this is the most impressive thing about BYD. When they first announced they were coming here, everything just seemed to be kind of going off the rails. Um, they they announced service pricing and that people weren't happy with, uh, that they were announced that they were going to sell their cars in certain places and then that didn't happen. They were going to service them here and then that changed. Everything just seemed to be changing. But look how far they have come in such a short space of time. The Addo 3 was what this is like the second or third best-selling EV in Australia uh, year to date. Like that, that's really impressive. And I think... One, I see Addo 3s everywhere. And and it really shows you kind of the strength of the product. Um, it must, BYD must be doing something right for that many people to be buying them. And, and you know what? Looking at um, some images of the interior, this thing's got a massive infotainment screen tablet. Mm-hmm. Uh, not tablet style, but massive anyway. The trunk space is 345 litres. Uh, behind the rear seats, expanding to 13. I mean, this thing has got some serious... Uh, enticements in it and uh, yeah they're going to have to make this close to MG4 because it'll probably give MG4 a run for its money I I would suspect it could actually come in cheaper that would Um, be my guess Um, it's um, one big strength of both MG and BYD is is their supply lines Uh, BYD announced that they would basically driving vehicles right off the factory line into sealed shipping containers to avoid quarantine hurdles. Um, MG chartered a ship just for its own vehicles. So you Mm. can see the Chinese companies have got that strength and and, and companies that also just source vehicles from China, period, like like Tesla. Um, They've got that strength to be able to not flood the market, but to bring in uh, vehicles um, in a timely manner. the seal is probably the BYD I'm most interested in. Um, the dolphin will probably be the one that will make the greatest impact, being that it will likely be the cheapest or you know second cheapest EV in Australia. But the seal is a direct rival for the Tesla Model Three. Mm. It doesn't have the silly interior excesses of the Addo Three, which I mean, it's a it's a, got a well made interior, but God, it's goofy looking inside. Um, the seal looks really neat inside and out. The performance figures look good. Um, but this brand is just going from strength to strength, and it's not just here either. This is this is something we need to remember. BYD has now entered Europe. Um, they're selling cars in Japan. They've got serious global aspirations. Uh, so for a company that started as what like a, it was, they were just a battery manufacturer in, in the mid-90s and they started producing cars. They now only produce plug-in hybrid and electric vehicles um, and they've got serious um, 
plans for world domination. <laughs> so watch this space. <laughs> and lastly, Jay, we've got all the details for the 2024 Skoda Enyaq. Yeah, that's right. So last week I had the pleasure of actually going to see this thing in person. I've been so excited for it. So we now have got uh, some details. While Skoda still firms up the trim lines that it will offer, we do know that orders will open in Q2 of 2024 and is the vehicle is expected to arrive um, towards the end of the year next year. Now they'll be launching with the more powerful powertrain which will give 210 kilowatts of power which is actually one of their most powerful um, vehicles in their range currently. It will have a single motor rear-wheel drive powertrain and it will have 82 kilowatt hour battery, a 570 kilometers of range and can do zero to 100 kilometers in sub seven seconds. Now, Skoda has confirmed that they are looking at bringing a high level trim option to Australia only. They will offer the SUV as well as the coupe body styling. Now, some really cool features that I quite enjoyed was 131 crystal LEDs that light up the front grille You've got Matrix LED headlights, Alcantara upholstery, a 13-inch infotainment system, and sat-nav. Now, pricing is yet to be confirmed, but Skoda Australia has said it will be a little bit more expensive than the -the top-of-the-line Kodiak RS, so we're expecting the electric EV to sit around $80,000. What do you guys think, and do you think it'll do well? Can can I just ask, do you think there's any reason for them to bring the coupe and the and the SUV, and, and what would be the reason to, to do that? Look, the coupe was released um, not a long time ago in Europe, uh, and the SUV is, I think, for memory, about two years old now. So I think having both options, they are interior, like inside, um, both offer very similar um dimensions and very similar uh, space even though that the coupe um, has obviously got a slanted um, body style so look I don't know why Skoda's decided to bring them both if it was me I'd probably go with the coupe it is newer it's fresher it's more modern but I'd be interested to see how many people would opt for the SUV um, given that Australia is very into their SUVs at the moment what about you Will? I think it's just a case of, well, if Skoda can get their hands on both of them, why wouldn't they? Um, and we see, you know, the, the luxury brands are more than happy to offer both a, a wagon-style SUV and a coupe-style SUV in Australia. So Skoda's Will they be priced the same? I think it's probably way too soon to tell. The hmm. fact that these are years old, how, does, how do we feel about that? Yeah, look, I think Volkswagen and, and Skoda in Australia are probably none too happy that they've had to wait so long to get their hands on these EVs. By the time they come here, they're, they're certainly not going to be the newest and freshest on the market. Um, I think the Enyaq looks a bit nicer inside and out than Volkswagen's ID4 and ID5. Um, but they're they're going to enter a market that's becoming increasingly competitive when it comes to EVs. You've got Ford coming here with the Mustang Mach-E as well. Tesla, well and truly dominates this part of the market um so i don't really know how skoda is going to stand out um i can see a lot of existing skoda buyers um migrating to to an enyaq uh, but how it's going to appeal to other buyers it remains to be seen uh, it's also worth noting as well that the enyaq is due for a pretty substantial midlife update in from memory a couple of years uh so it might be a little bit old now, but um, it won't be old for long. 
Mm. All right. If you'd like to know more about all these stories Jade mentioned, head to carexpert.com.au. Jade Credentino, thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys. Good job, Jade. Bye, Jade. Thanks. Nissan's all-new electric car has touched its tyres down onto Australian roads for the first time and Albor's fella spent some time, even though it was perhaps short, uh, behind the wheel. Hello, Albor's. Hello. How are you going? Very good. Um, now, this is an entirely new model for Nissan. So for those who haven't caught up, what exactly is the Aria? Look, it's, a, it's an entirely new model for Nissan, but uh, not in Europe. It's been out for a few years now. It is a full battery electric vehicle. Um, it's surprisingly good looking for a Nissan. Uh, I think a lot of uh, EVs out there at the moment just look a bit frumpy, and, and this thing looks quite nice. And in those markets that it currently participates in, it actually undercuts the Tesla Model Y. And considering just how ugly that car is, I think if they can get it here and uh, make it very affordable in terms of his competitor said, I think it actually do really well. Yeah. How important is this car for Nissan Australia specifically? Um, look, I don't think they have enormous volume ambitions. I know that the Model Y sells really well here, but, you know, that does have the Tesla factor. I, I think for Nissan it's really about just making sure they do have a full battery electric vehicle offering in market considering the times we live in. But I, I would – suggest that it's not going to be in their top five best-selling cars anytime soon unless they just come out with some crazy pricing. But considering the uh, onslaught of Chinese brands with very cheap EVs, uh, I think that's sort of end of the market. People looking for just a cheap electric vehicle uh, will be taken care of. And and the Aria um, is, you know, it's playing in a very competitive field. So uh, I, I don't know how important it will be for them. I, I think it may or may not be just a box-ticking exercise in some respects as well. Uh, sorry, when is it coming here? Who knows? Uh, they said it's, they said it's <laughs> maybe coming, possibly coming. Um, it's, uh, it, there's no confirmed timing. I think it's coming. Otherwise, they wouldn't have bothered to bring it out here and let us drive it. But they've said that before. It's been on and off for a while. I, I have a suspicion it'll be here uh, either towards the end of the year or early next year um, at some point. And that's, weirdly enough, just right before it's probably about to receive a midlife update. Uh, which is kind of annoying. Um, I kind of feel like a vehicle that's three years old and is about to get a midlife update, you may as well just bring the midlife update, although that probably push things back by another six to 12 months. But um, So if you probably buy one of the very first ones that come in, there's a very good chance that within a year uh, there will be an update to the car, which personally it would kind of annoy me. Yeah, I've got to say the interior uh, is, is uh, unusually uh, contemporary. Uh, from Nissan's latest stuff. And it is. It's actually really cool, the, the haptic buttons and, and yeah. all the screens and everything. And the infotainment system is is, is surprisingly not shit, which is, uh, which is not what I would say about some of the other cars in the segment. So um, I yeah. actually genuinely like driving it. Um, it was a cool car. I was very pleasantly surprised by the interior. It, it really is a step above the Model Y, which is extremely spartan um, and feels cheap. Yeah, and I noticed the HEVAC controls, they're like sort of little uh, symbols just on like a wood finish or something. What's that about? Yeah, the air conditioning controls, they're, they sort of sit embedded into the wood, so you sort of like run your fingers over them and they light up when you press them and, and you sort of go yeah, nice. there. It's really nice to have them separated outside of all the screens and buttons. Um, so that's pretty cool. Like, you know, and also the, the center storage area moves back and forward as well. Um, there's a lot of weirdly clever tech in it um it's it is annoying that this car is three years late for our market it would have been 
I can only imagine how well it would have done if it was here a few years ago as the Model Y was sort of waiting and taking off. Um, but better late than never, so let's see how it goes. From a driving perspective, um, I think it'll do quite well. You know, there's, there's a front-wheel drive, there's an all-wheel drive variant with quite varying different levels of power with the fastest going from 0 to 105.1, which is faster than you'll ever need to go in, in a family SUV regardless. But I, I guess the, the main thing for this car is whether Nissan can get the price right. Because if they can get the price right, um, and they can sort of sit around Model Y or undercut the Model Y. I think they kind of need to undercut the Model Y just because the Model Y is the default choice. Um, so if they can sort of make the position a little bit sharper and a little bit neater, um, mm. I think it'll do quite well. I noticed though the – sorry, I noticed that performance is listed as 7.5 and 7.6, uh, which is not overly quick compared to a Model Y. Uh, but the range varies from 450 to 610, which is quite reasonable. Yeah, I think it's actually slightly lower in WLTP cycle or definitely will be in real world. But, um, I mean, 400K is, is, is more than you'll ever need in most cars. You can just charge them at home at night. Um, and the infrastructure for charging is, is getting better and better if you live in the metro areas. So, look, it's got a lot going for it, but you got to, I guess, also remember that it's going up against the Ionic 5 and the EV6. And those two cars are also excellent, particularly the EV6. Um, the only problem with those two is being that no one can buy them. So if they can get the supply of this right uh, and get the pricing of this right, I think a fair few people that have been waiting a long time that just don't want a Tesla may just have to switch to this. So it, it might work for them. Uh, I drove the front-wheel drive variant, I believe. It was a very uh, small amount of time behind the wheel of Mount Cotton Driver Training Center, so I, I wasn't exactly uh, uh, getting to spend too much time with it. It's quick. Um, it doesn't talk steer. Uh, it's pleasant to sit in. It's, it's got really good visibility, and the interior, as I said, is surprisingly good. So it ticked a lot of boxes. Uh, you never know, though, with an electric car, to actually live with it for a little while and also to see how the range actually goes in real life. Because I, I have found in my time uh, driving EVs that the quoted claim range can actually differ between cars, even if they both have very similar range. Some of them just happen to use more electricity. Um, so I'm, I'm not really sure how that works uh, with this car yet because we haven't had a chance to properly test it. But hopeful. And did that? Sorry, did they did they say they're bringing both all wheel drive and two wheel drive in? Yes, they will bring they will bring um, both drivetrain variants. But I believe there's actually three different options on that, including right. a, a, right. a longer range model. Okay, they only list 65 and 90 kilowatt hour battery. Um, but the all-wheel drive is listed as 5.4 and 5.1 second, depending on which battery in terms of 0 to 100. That's right. That's right. So, so the, the, the 5.4, I believe, is the long-range version, um, and the, uh, the 5.1 will be the, uh, the slightly uh, uh, quicker, mm -hmm. obviously, but um, slightly lower range. But none of those figures are 100% yet for our market, um, so mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see what we get and whether – they just bite the bullet and wait for the midlife update before we get it. But who knows? Well, we look forward to spending a little bit more time behind the wheel on the local launch soon. And uh, you can search this in Aria at carexpert.com.au for more. Thank you, Arbor's fellow. Thanks, guys. Done. We recently spoke to Jack Quick about the Mahindra XUV700 that he reviewed overseas, but now we've had a chance to drive this car locally to see how it handles our tough road conditions. And, uh, Will, it was your time to shine. Um, now, for the introductory price tag, it actually seems pretty too good to be true. Um, do you think it shows a lot of promise? Well, 
I, I do love that introduction, Mandy. Uh, such enthusiasm uh, for our opportunity to finally drive it on our on our tough road conditions. I wish I could tell you how it drives on our tough road conditions oh. because, unfortunately, um, our experience with the car was very fleeting, if you will. Brief. Now, uh, but there is some good news. Um, we will be getting it through the garage later this month, so we'll be able to test it on a, on a wider range of roads. Uh, the local launch program for the XUV 700, as they call it, uh, not 700 for some reason, um, it was a little bit of track driving and a little bit of on-road driving. And I, I say a little bit. Uh, they had a few vehicles, but only half of them were actually road registered. Um, so we got to drive on the track and then we got to drive on some kind of relatively smooth roads, get onto the highway, get off the highway, drive on a relatively smooth road back to Norwell Motorplex. Um, so I can't really tell you too much about how it drives other than it seems to have a decent amount of power uh the ride seems to be pretty smooth um it's pretty quiet at highway speeds the steering is very very light uh very light um which is not my not my cup of tea um but certainly does make it easy to park but back to your point about pricing mandy uh you're right the pricing is very sharp now it's worth noting this is thousands of dollars more expensive than the old xuv 500 However, there is a lot more technology in this new model. Um, Mahindra's uh, announced introductory pricing, which is until August 31. They haven't said what the price is going to look like after that. Um, and it sees the base AX7 priced from 36990 drive away. And the AX7L is priced at 39990 drive away. Uh, to give you some context there, the cheapest seven-seat Outlander is uh, about 39,490 before on roads. Um, the cheapest CRV with seven seats is 49,90 drive away. So you're seeing, uh, comparing base to base, it's at least $4,000 cheaper uh, than its most immediate rivals. That is very sharp pricing. Mm. Will um, uh, the in uh, the in car infotainment looks to be quite contemporary? Uh, with those dual screens, almost BMW slash uh, Hyundai Kia style. Are they good? Uh, they're, they're, they're pretty decent. Um, there is wireless uh, smartphone connectivity. Uh, response times are pretty snappy. The um, the graphics look pretty modern. Um, so no, no real kind of major complaints there. Other than it's there's some kind of weird quirks with the layout. So when you kind of get into the car and the, the screen loads up, it's split into four segments. There's like a, a, a shortcuts for Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. There's a section called Fun in XUV700 and Fun with XUV700. One takes you to a, to a power readout. The other one takes you to like a slightly different home menu. What? I don't, I don't <laughs> understand it. I mean, it was it's just really, really strange. Um, but I mean, oh yeah, I got some, it. They're like tiles that pop up, are they? They're yeah. tiles. But yeah. when you press the fun with XUV seven double O, it changes the, the tile layout so that the fun tiles are gone, and there's now like a clock and a media information tile. Right. So it's like a second home menu, and then you can also press a home shortcut in the top right hand corner. So it's just it's just an unnecessary kind of home screen. But I mean, if that's the worst complaint I have about the system, then mm. we're doing pretty well. I didn't get a chance to test um, smartphone connectivity, so I can't tell you how stable the connection is. Again, we were, we were only driving it for a hot minute anyway. Um, 
But yeah, it's a big upgrade in tech compared to the XUV500. Uh, the interior does have some more quirks beyond um, the, the fun tiles <laughs> uh, because Mahindra has uh, made the only interior color option available here an off-white leatherette. Uh, interior um, which in a family focused seven seater is is a bit strange um, we did ask them if there were going to be other interior colorways coming and they did say that they are looking at a black uh, color now usually I'm I mean you know me I'm always complaining about black interiors mm-hmm. and so boring and no variety um, but I think that's the kind of the key word here variety um, this off-white would be nice if it was one of two color options um, so let's wait and see um, Mahindra has also said uh, that it's looking at bringing other variants uh, to the model range, including a five-seat variant, which would potentially offer an even sharper base price, uh, and a turbo diesel engine, uh, because the XUV700 is coming here only as petrol with front-wheel drive. And will this styling, um, what did you think of it in the middle? Because the rear, uh, I'm looking at a shot now, looks, there's, with the lighting signature, it looks a bit Santa Fe-ish. I it it just looks nice. Yeah, okay. It, 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 fundamentally, it looks nice. Um, Mahindra hasn't tried to do anything too crazy here. I think that was the biggest problem with the XUV500. Again, you know, I, I like when manufacturers try to do something a little bit different, um, but the XUV500 was was pretty goofy looking, mm. Um, mm. and a facelift didn't really fix that. This looks like you. It, it's a little bit derivative in some areas, you know, that the the headlight shape is quite reminiscent of the, well, the daylight running lights are quite reminiscent of the Renault Colios. Mm. But overall, it, it blends in so nicely with its mid-sized SUV rivals. Yeah. It looks contemporary. It it doesn't look cheap at all. It looks, yeah, it does, it's quite attractive in person. And what's the warranty on uh, Mahindra? So they do have a seven-year warranty, um, but instead of being seven years and unlimited kilometres, it's seven years and 150,000 kilometres. They do have cap price servicing, but as of the time of recording, they haven't announced service pricing yet. Um, So we'll have to wait and see on that. And safety is pretty much taken care of? Well, that's a really good question, Tony. Um, So it hasn't been tested by ANCAP yet, um, but Mahindra was very, very eager to demonstrate um, the active safety and driver assist features that the XCV700 offers because many of these features are not available on the Scorpio. So we know that the Scorpio, which is a, quite a different SUV, it's similarly sized, but it's a, a more rugged body on frame four-wheel drive model. Um, it doesn't have AEB. It slid in just before the cutoff um, where all vehicles on sale are needed to have, uh, all new vehicles on sale needed to have AEB. Uh, now, the XCV700 does have AEB, with pedestrian detection um, it has adaptive cruise control it's got lane keep assist it's got on the top spec model this is interesting it doesn't have conventional blind spot monitoring it's got an uh, a blind spot view monitor in the instrument cluster like you see on top spec hyundai kia genesis models mm. um, i think the difference with that is in in those models that's typically paired with um active blind spot assist where the car will beep you know if you're if you're about to cross into another vehicle or it'll um apply the brakes or adjust the steering or however that system works. This doesn't, this is just a camera view. So it's a little bit more like Honda's uh, old lane watch system um, that you still see on some of its vehicles. 
But still, I mean, it's such a simple piece of technology, right? Camera footage inside um, the instrument cluster. It's a little bit surprising that more companies haven't done that. Now, one other thing I will mention as well on the safety front, there's no rear cross-traffic alert on either model, um, which is a bit of a strange omission because so many vehicles in this segment do have that. Uh, but at least on the top spec AX7L, you do get a surround view camera and the adaptive cruise control gets stop and go functionality. Now, obviously, Mahindra was, was very happy to be uh, introducing a vehicle that has all this technology, which is a bit new to them. So they wanted to demonstrate at Norwell Motorplex how adaptive cruise control works. Um, very, very polite instructor um, was explaining it to me, and I'm like, mm -hmm. I drove here in a car that has adaptive cruise. So, <laughs> you know, this is technology that's, that's been used by other, other companies for, for many years now. Yeah. Same with AEB. It was pretty cool to do an AEB demonstration where we, we hurtled towards a, a mannequin and, and you know, let ourselves, um, let, the, let the AEB system take over and break the vehicle. Oh, you weren't playing a game of chicken instead. Yeah, yeah, with a mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, it was, it was, there were some fun practical dem demonstrations. They were also showing off the ESC. Again, not new technology, but it's always nice to see how these systems work because I'm never going to, you know, drive towards a pedestrian in a press car or any car let me just be very clear <laughs> i'm not going to threaten anybody with vehicular homicide um so it, i do wish we had more chance behind the wheel but as i said we'll, we'll get a chance to drive this soon enough mm. yeah it's a good price um and like you said all the, it's got some modern technology it's got some uh, good adas safety features and uh again it could be offering um you know, a decent-sized vehicle for people on uh, on a budget. And a decent size it is because the second row is very comfortable, but the third row actually is decent. Um, you know, with some of these mid-size SUVs, you get into the third row as an adult and it's, it's extremely cramped. With this, I had sort of just <clears throat> enough headroom, sort of just enough knee room. I wouldn't want to take a long trip in the third row. I, I th it's, it's always good to have a third row available to you. Um, Often they're just little kind of bonus seats for small children. Yeah. This can actually fit someone a little bit larger, so that's nice. I think where Mahindra is going to um, struggle, at least in the short term, is getting people behind the wheel of one of these because mm. their dealership network has traditionally been focused on regional areas. Uh, now, that's made a lot of sense when they're selling pickups. Mm. Um, and keep in mind as well, Mahindra is, like I believe, the world's largest tractor manufacturer today mm. um so they've had more of a kind of regional focus with their vehicles um, but now they are expanding their urban dealership network with the goal of having dealerships in major metro areas um that they're rolling out from this year okay um, they're also rebranding their showrooms yeah. so mahindra has been in the country for uh, for roughly a decade now and a lot of you know, the average punter might not actually know um, about the company. Mm. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see if, if, if Mahindra can tell people who they are and get them to come into the showrooms because the package itself, yeah. um, the vehicle itself is, is, is quite decent. Yeah, and, of course, Mahindra is a giant company, uh, not just in mm. tractors and pretty much everything in India and associated markets. So um, people uh, can rest easy in terms of uh, how well-funded this company is they're uh, one of the biggest companies in India and that, that's saying something with that many people over there. 
And I think if people are willing to take a punt on on so many Chinese brands in Australia, I don't see why Mahindra shouldn't get the same kind of consideration. Mm. Um, we It seems to be, you know, we don't have sales figures to back this up because Mahindra doesn't currently report sales in Fairfax, but it doesn't seem to be a, a huge selling brand. Um, and it's interesting that it's it, it's not a huge selling brand, but it's been around for quite a while in Australia. And we see a similar kind of thing with Sangyong, mm. where Sangyong gets outsold considerably by newer brands like uh, GWM Havel. Um, they probably so, need to up their marketing, Will, just a yes. little bit. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just a little bit. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, that's wrapped up this review. Uh, you gave it an 8.1, the 2023 Mahindra XUV 700. Not you bad. can check out the review now. That wraps up this week's podcast. Well, I forgot to mention earlier, um, you just got back from Alice Springs. How was yes, it? Yes, oh. I did. It was actually my first time in Alice Springs. Um, it was there. So Ford um, uh, was obviously very happy to talk about the Ranger Raptor that was racing in the Fink Desert Race. Uh-huh. Um, so that's what we were there for, but they also turn it into a little bit of a uh, cavalcade of rangers so we got to take a, a few different range variants off the beaten track as well oh that would have been uh, cool just some, yeah it was also look first time in alice springs uh didn't really know what to expect um obviously the town itself is, is quite small um but um, we went to some really beautiful spots outside of town on some lovely drives and some of the most beautiful scenery i've mm. ever seen um because mm. i don't know maybe i just i just presumed that alice springs would just be just dusty plains well, and the no trees but no it's beautiful there's a lot of greenery surprisingly and um just absolutely gorgeous scenery so it was a lovely few days out in the in the middle of the country so uh did glad you do i any, went to that did you do any jumping in the raptor yeah that was my next yeah, question yeah yeah <laughs> right, proper <laughs> no. off-road fast driving in the raptor the because it's good with that it is it's yeah. unbelievably capable off-road is it it is really, really um, fun. I have um, done some jumping and some, uh, you know, high-speed off-roading in the Ranger Raptor before. This was a little bit more low-speed stuff. We had Raptors, XLs, XLSs, um, and it was just, you know, some trails and okay. uh, uh, kind of rocky roads and, and rocky roads. <laughs> so delicious, um, but uh, nothing, nothing too crazy. We didn't, okay. we didn't do Baja, uh, but uh, it was, it was a really, it was a really good trip. So what other events are the team off to next week, Will? So I don't know if, uh, if we mentioned it last week. Scott is, uh, as of the time of recording, uh, in Korea driving the Kia EV9. Um, so looking forward to hear, hearing his thoughts about that. We did a, uh, an, uh, one of our team op-eds recently about the EVs we're most excited to drive, and I actually said the Kia EV9. So I'll be very curious to hear Scott's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then next week, uh, we don't have as much in, in the calendar as we did this week, uh, but uh, Scott is off again. Um, uh, this time a little bit close to home, you'll be going to New South Wales to drive the new Hyundai Kona. Uh, so another eagerly anticipated Korean SUV. Uh, we'll have to see what his thoughts are on that as well. I I had a little drive of Kona about two weeks ago. Uh, oh, did you? So it was some, one of them was left outside my house. Um, and, uh, and I had a little drive of this thing. Uh, I don't want to say too much, but um, okay. But I, but I was, uh, um, it, I think this was a base model, and I was incredibly impressed with this thing, the chassis, of how it rode and how it uh, steered. I was, it's really something quite special, and of course, what the Kona lacked, and, and I know this because I I own a Kona, or well, my daughter, my daughter does, and um, 
while it's too small to swallow even more than one pram, a single pram is all you'll get in there, um, this thing is substantially bigger. And, and I think it's going to do incredibly well. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, I think it, it all uh, the pricing's out. It's a lot more expensive, I think, than the previous Kona uh, was. But, um, yeah, it's so modern. I mean, it's what, what Kia and Hyundai are doing now is – it's really amazing what they're coming out with. They're they're really they're really stunning vehicles. Some of them, and they're even this base model have felt almost I won't say luxurious, but it felt premium. And even though it was a baser, so interesting. I'll be really keen to see what uh, what everyone else thinks of it. And what cars can we expect in the garage next week? Uh, so it doesn't uh, look like you've got anything in the garage, Tony. No, I'm busy riding Aston Martin DB12, Will, <laughs> <laughs> this week. Uh, well, um, we will have a Skoda Scala up in um, in Sydney. Um, and in Melbourne, uh, we will have the Mahindra XUV 700. So we'll get a chance for other members of the team to drive that following my um, my attendance of the launch uh we've also got a bmw ix1 we've got the new mercedes-benz glc which is obviously a very 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 popular vehicle in its segment um and then we've got a couple of mazda cx8s uh d35 asaki le and a g25 gtsp so uh, i'm interested in the ix1 definitely uh bmw producing such good evs at the moment it'll be good to see what their entry-level stuff uh is like Mm. You know, definitely. Well, if you're a big fan of uh, our podcast and if you haven't given us a review, please do whatever podcast platform you listen to. We really would uh, appreciate definitely five stars. Let's hope you do give us one of those. Tony Crawford and William Stopford, thank you Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Mandy, as always.